I think the big question for today's feast is who are you willing to entrust with what is most precious to you? Who do we trust with our most prized belongings? I think parents parents, uh, here who sign their kids up for something crazy like the missions we just went on, you know, can, can relate to this because their most precious thing is probably their children. And they're like, whose hands am I putting my kid into? You know, Father Adam's hands. Are they trustworthy or not? Right? Some people shake their heads. Um, they're going to be going out on the street. They're going to be meeting strangers. They're going to be dealing with some of the homeless in some sometimes dangerous situations. Who's going to be in charge of my kid? Into whose hands am I putting my son or my daughter? Um, I think that the teens who are here can probably relate to the feeling of when your phone is unlocked because you're showing somebody something and they pass it on to somebody else you start to freak out, you know, like, oh no, who's going to end up with my phone in their hands and having it unlocked, and all of my secrets are in there, and all of my chats, and everything that I've ever done is on there, and the pictures and everything, you know. Um, whose hands can I trust with my phone when, I, when I've got it unlocked? It matters a lot. Or if we were speaking about politics, I might say something to you like, into whose hands are we putting the fate of our nation? Is it someone that we can trust? You know, it's a big deal because in the hands of our leaders are all of our rights and our freedoms and, and, our, and our, our liberty, you know? I might say, do you want your rights and your freedoms and your liberty to be in the hands of someone like Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Justin Trudeau? And you might all say, no, right? Because we don't want someone we can't trust to have power over those really valuable, important things in our lives. We want the person who has power over those things in our lives to be someone that we trust, or someone that we know cares about our good, someone that we know is going to take care of us and take care of those precious things. Here, I'm not making a political speech. What we're speaking about putting into someone else's hands is something of infinitely greater value than all of those things together. Yes, even your children, and even your rights, and even your freedom. What has more value than that? The eternal salvation of your soul. Into whose hands are you going to put that? The second reading today was this great poem about Christ's sovereignty from St. Paul. But it starts with this shocking image. It says, The Father has rescued us from the power of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. The Father has rescued us from the power of darkness. Let's try to imagine what the power of darkness looks like. Let's try to imagine what it looks like to be surrounded by the power of darkness. And say, God has plucked us. It's like he's pulled us up out of the middle of this disgusting battle and set us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And the first reading today was about David. Um, If you know the story a little bit, David had been king long before this moment where they finally anointed him and claimed him as their king. He was anointed as king by the prophet Samuel when he was found as a little shepherd boy. He took him out in the field by himself and anointed him king. He proclaimed him God's chosen one, God's king. And then many, many years went by. He went through a whole bunch of battles. The old king, Saul, died. And then, finally, the Israelites 
took him and said, we're going to make you our king. Right? That's a great image for Christ. Because Christ is the king already. He's, he's your king, he's my king, and he's the king of the people out on the streets who don't believe in him. And he's the king of all the people who are still living in the power of darkness. They just don't know it yet. He is the king of the whole universe. And the whole world just doesn't know it yet. So the image here is that we need to choose Christ as our king, the way the Israelites did with David in that reading. He was already king. They just hadn't, hadn't known it yet. They just hadn't accepted him yet. We have to come to that point where we choose who our king is going to be, who's going to rule over our life. So I think a great image for both of these things, the power of darkness and choosing our king, is found in The Lord of the Rings. I was actually, uh, I was actually going to use uh, that new series that's, that's out now, uh, Rings of Power. Has anyone seen The Rings of Power? But uh, it turns out that it's not a good example for this. And I can't tell you why, because if you haven't seen it yet, it will ruin the ending. Anyways, um, so in, the, in uh, Lord of the Rings, Aragorn is the king of Gondor. And he's been separated from his people for a long time. And they're living under this regent who is actually pretty terrible at ruling them, who's making a whole bunch of bad decisions, who's actually leading them into their demise, who's going to fail in battle. And, um, and they, need, they need a real king. They need a real leader. They don't even realize that Aragorn is out there and that the true king exists and that he lives and that he's out there. Meanwhile, Aragorn hasn't shown up. He's off doing something else. And uh, he, has, he has discovered the flag of the king, right? It's just like the flag of Gondor. It has this white tree on it. But the flag that marks the king has, has stars and a crown along with the white tree, right? I think this only comes out in the book and not in the movies. I'm like, that could be wrong. But anyway, so Aragorn has the true flag that represents that he's the king. And he's on his way to Gondor. And they're in the middle of this battle, and they're losing, right, of course. And um, Aragorn, meanwhile, has to pass through this mountain where he encounters the land of the dead. And, and his job is to recruit all of these dead men, these uh, spirits, to come and fight with him. It's actually pretty cool. So he wins them over, convinces them to come and fight with him because he's the true king. So he gets them to fight with him. And then while they're in this battle in Gondor, they think they're about to lose. And all of a sudden, this fleet of ships shows up. And they look like enemy ships. So they all start despairing. And they're like, oh, no, we're going to lose. There's more enemies here. There's no way we can defeat them. And all of a sudden, on one of the ships appears the flag of the king of Gondor. And they realize that the king has returned. Hence the name of the book, The Return of the King. Right? And Aragorn shows up with all of his army. They defeat the enemies. They win. And he marches victorious into the castle. Right? The Return of the King. He is out there. He is out there. And we need to accept him as our king. We need to invite him to come and be our king. If you haven't invited Christ to be the king of your life yet, then you're missing out on what it's like to have a true king ruling over you. Now, I think that Lord of the Rings is also a good image because it helps us to understand what evil looks like. Imagine all of those orcs and those scenes where it, just, where it shows them and how disgusting they are, right? Their faces are all deformed. Their skin and their eyes and their teeth are discolored, right? They've got these horrible voices, kind of like mine after a day of yelling like today. And, they, and they're just disgusting, just absolutely wicked and evil. And they make you feel evil. That's a great image. It helps us to understand. It helps us to, to sense what it's like to live in the power of darkness. But I think that all of us understand 
in a better way, in a more real way, what it's like to live in the power of darkness. We live in the power of darkness when we encounter sin in our lives. And I know that that can sound a little bit cliche, but I think that sometimes when we encounter people who are truly suffering because of sin, we get a little glimpse of what the power of darkness is like, what it's like to be surrounded by the power of darkness. Uh, Maybe we met some people like that today, those of us who are out on the streets doing missions. We meet some people who are addicted to drugs or who have gotten into some kind of trouble with the law and sin has really ruined their lives. And I think that all of us experience a little bit of that when we have sin that's out of control in our own lives. And I, and I want, you know, you could go through all of the typical deadly sins um, to, to paint a picture of the power of darkness in our lives. But I think that um, there's a few good examples in today's gospel that I just want to underline for you. Just four examples of the power of darkness. So today's gospel was about Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross. And the first, the first line is about the leaders who scoffed at Jesus. I think that that attitude of laughing at someone who's suffering and who's dying is a great image of what pride is like, the sin of pride. So look at our lives, look at our own hearts and how pride sometimes overcomes us. We find ourselves laughing at someone who doesn't deserve it or scoffing or mocking someone else and, and we kind of let pride take over. That's what it's like to be in the power of darkness. That's that disgusting nature of sin. Nobody wants to be like that. Nobody wants to be one of those leaders who mocks and scoffs at someone in their suffering. The second is sensuality. The, the leaders offer him this sour wine, right? Not the leaders, the, the, the soldiers offer him this sour wine. These are Roman soldiers who don't have a lot of holiness or goodness in their lives and probably live their lives just seeking every next pleasure that can come up. So sin in our lives, when we get ourselves caught in this, this cycle of just looking for pleasure, just looking for comforts, is, that, is like that, you know? We don't really care about people. We don't really care about others. We're not really willing to do anything for other people. We're just looking out for ourselves. It's the the selfishness and the sensuality of those Roman soldiers at the crucifixion. The third is superficiality, that uh, one of those men who was crucified with Jesus, one of the two men crucified with Jesus, was able to, uh, to deride him. You know, being blinded to the suffering of those around me by my own superficiality, you know? I think that that can happen to us a lot where we're just caught up in having fun and, and we kind of forget that there are people around, around us who are suffering, right? Superficiality is one of those things that makes our soul kind of dark, kind of disgusting. And the last one is, um, is again, that other criminal who turns to Jesus and makes fun of him because he doesn't believe that he can be saved. And I think that's such a great image for despair, for hopelessness. Someone who, when he's got the author of salvation right beside him, gives up hope. You know, and there's this contrast between the two because one turns to Jesus and gets forgiven and gets accepted into his kingdom, and the other despairs. When, when both of them had the chance right there in front of them to be saved by Jesus. So I think that all of us encounter despair in our lives at different moments. All of us encounter moments where we, where we want to give up hope and we forget the fact that Jesus is right there beside us. Jesus is right there. It's just one turn away, just like 
All we'd have to do is turn our heads and say, you're there, Lord. Save me. Be my salvation. Be my hope. And what does he, what does he get out of that? What does that man who does turn to him get? He gets the promise of paradise, the promise of eternal life. It's time for us to turn away from the power of darkness, from all of those dark things in our lives, all of those sins, and to turn to the king who can, who can pluck us out of that and bring us into the kingdom of his beloved son, of Jesus Christ. And that requires, that requires putting ourselves in his hands. That requires entrusting our lives to him. It requires accepting him as our king, like the, like the people of Gondor did. You know, They accept Aragorn as their king finally, right, at the end. Or... or um, you know, bringing Jesus into our lives, inviting him, inviting him to be our king. So that thief who turns to Jesus with humility uh, allows Jesus to replace all of those evil things in his life, all of his sin, with hope and with life and with love. And the greatest thing about it, I think, is are these words of Jesus. Jesus says to him, Today you will be with me. Today you will be with me in paradise. He offers him companionship. He offers him communion. He offers him his friendship. The deepest things that we all long for more than anything. That is the kingdom of Christ. That is the kingdom of Christ. Let's invite Jesus to be our king today on the feast of Christ the King. Let's say those prayers from the Our Father, Thy kingdom come with all of our hearts so that, so that we're really asking him, Jesus, be my king. Jesus, take me out of the reign of darkness. Save me. Make me a member of your kingdom.